0: Hey y'all, so when it comes to bodies, weight loss is not really something that I'm pursuing right now. But as you know, one of Vanessa's family members has been taking a GLP-1 medication and it's worked really well for him. So if that is part of your journey, you should check out the Roe Body Program. Roe provides access to the most popular weight loss shots on the market. Roe's partner handles all the insurance paperwork to help get the medication covered. If eligible for medication, patients have access to their provider on demand for any questions. Go to ro.co slash infamous. Sign up today and you'll pay just $99 for your first month and $145 a month after that. Medication costs are separate. That's ro.co slash infamous.
1: Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Infamous, a production of Campside Media and Sony Music Entertainment. I'm Vanessa Grigoriadis, and thank you so much for listening. This is a special episode of our show. The way this show, Infamous, is going to work generally is this. We'll tell you a story, and then that story will be followed either by an informational interview or another mini-series yarn that's going to be fascinating. So next week, I'll be turning over the microphone to Gabriel Sherman, my co-host, for a new story that is going to be incredible. And you want to stay tuned for that. But for now... I'm going to wrap up what you just heard, and by that I mean Boy Gone Wild, our story about the outrageous rise and equally outrageous fall of Joe Francis, the founder of Girls Gone Wild. Now, we all know there's a lot in Joe's story, from robbery to alleged assault. It gets very graphic, very fast, and there are real questions about Joe's mistreatment of women. But now, for this informational interview, we're going to spend a little bit of time talking about the milieu that Girls Gone Wild was working in. And for that, I'm going to be interviewing an expert in all things internet porn and sex tapes, Lux Alptrom. She's a former nude model, an author, and the ex-owner of Fleshbot. She's also the host of the excellent second season of New York Magazine's tabloid podcast. That's about the Pam and Tommy Lee sex tape. This is our conversation. Lux, thank you so much for doing this. Yeah, it's my pleasure. So I uh, would be remiss if I didn't ask you, you have a nom de plume, right? Can you explain what it is?
2: Yeah. um, An iteration of that name started when I myself was a porn model when I was 18. I chose the name Lux because of Lux from The Virgin Suicides. Lux is the one who's like having sex with the boys on the roof. She's the slutty one. And I was like, yeah. Yeah. That's a good name. I'll go with that. So what
1: was the porn landscape when Girls Gone Wild came out? I mean, there were the back rooms of video stores. There was Times Square. There was Playboy. There were magazines. People will
2: talk about the 70s as the golden era of porn, right? Um, Which is porn being shot on film. That's when you get, like, Behind the Green Door and a lot of these, um, The Devil and Miss Jones and a lot of these classic films that people really talk about very highly of and people really, really love. Those were all shot at a time when porn was illegal. Two big changes come in the 1980s. Number one, you get VHS cameras, which mean that now it's a lot easier for kind of anybody to make a porn movie. You don't have to have the whole film set up. Like you can just get a camcorder, which is much cheaper than a film set up, and kind of do whatever you want, which is, of course, how we get the Pam and Tommy sex tape. Mm -hmm. The other thing that happens is that in 1988, there is... A court case, Freeman versus California, also known as the People versus Freeman, that functionally ends up legalizing porn production in California. It basically makes it so that pornography and prostitution are legally distinct entities. And that gave a lot of people an incentive to start making porn in California. But there was also like a sizable like 70s New York porn scene that I think starts to whittle away once there's legal incentive to be making porn in California. And I think that it's California and L.A. and Hollywood and this whole aesthetic that is associated with Southern California Mm -hmm. that really starts to shape what porn becomes the bleach blonde hair the fake boobs very specific physique like that's a california aesthetic mm-hmm. and that i think like fundamentally starts shaping what is porn what is sexy right what is in the public consciousness being a vivid girl is like incredibly a big deal mm-hmm. but then you also have these kind of lower key, more gonzo-y Girls Gone Wild things. But with Girls Gone Wild, especially, there's this tension of like, what do these women think is happening? Like, do these women actually know what they're getting into or are they drunk girls who are being taken advantage of? And, you know, in the early internet porn, you saw that as well. There were a bunch of quote unquote, reality porn sites like Bang Brothers is like the preeminent example where the concept is we're driving around in this van, we're picking girls up off the street, offering to give them rides if they have sex, and then we're throwing them out in this street. And Bang Brothers was really working with professional porn performers or people who knew that they were making porn, for the most part, it was staged. Right. But there were a lot of people who believed it was real. And that tension of like, is this fake? Is this real? And the desire on a lot of people for it to be real and for it to be like, wow, I'm watching women get exploited. I mean, that's the Girls Gone Wild vibe. Right. The whole thing is that it's like, real girls who are going wild. Like, maybe this is, like, the woman that is in your college class or the girl who lives down the street, and now you're seeing that her inner slut. Now you're seeing how, with X, Y, Z circumstances, she goes from being the nice girl to being this sexual object.
1: And that is, like, a central fantasy. Like, yeah. the idea that there's, like, a animal inside all of us. Right? Yeah. And particularly women.
2: And I think, like... And this, it's interesting because I think what you especially see with Girls Gone Wild, the sense that it was unscripted, the sense that these were, if not women you knew, an archetype of the kind of women that you knew is what made it feel really hot. Because you could project like the actual women you knew onto this scene in a way that you couldn't with like behind the green door or some like elaborate porn setup.
1: More of this conversation after the break.
0: I've always struggled with finding time to manage my finances. At the end of a busy week, the last thing I want to do is spend time budgeting all of my expenses or tracking down customer service teams to cancel old subscriptions I no longer use. But now I use Rocket Money and it does all that for me. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills so that you can grow your savings. With Rocket Money, I have full control over my subscriptions and a clear view of my expenses. I can see all my subscriptions in one place, and if I see something I don't want, Rocket Money can help me cancel it with just a few taps.
2: You're listening to Infamous from Campside Media.
1: As you probably remember from Boy Gone Wild, toward the end of the aughts, around 2008, 2009, Girls Gone Wild started to lose its immense cultural cachet. But why did it lose so much steam around that time? Was it just because internet porn was taking off? Or was there something else going on in the culture?
2: So Girls Gone Wild kind of starts to taper off in 2008, which is a really interesting year. Pornhub and its sister sites are really starting to become a cultural presence. Porn is changing. Mm -hmm. And so, like, number one... It makes sense that Girls Gone Wild would take a dip at that point because pretty much all traditional porn is taking a dip at that point. People don't want to pay for porn anymore. I mean, I always associate Girls Gone Wild with the like order off of TV. Call this toll-free number, send a check to this PO box. I'm like, that's not going to last in the internet era. There's like a lot of friction there. That whole marketing model doesn't make sense. And sure, they can adapt to marketing on the internet, but like, why would you pay for that when there's so much else going on? And so like around like a 2008 through 2012 ish is like a really dramatically transitional period for porn. And ultimately the, the porn hubs of the world one, they're the ones who own like literally own most of the mainstream porn industry now. And to the extent that we have a backlash to that, it's that, Porn performers are now striking out on their own and the most obvious way that that's happening is OnlyFans. I think OnlyFans is related to Girls Gone Wild, but in a very surprising way that kind of like turns all of it on its head because OnlyFans it is a kind of porn that people will pay for and people will pay for it because they feel like the money is not going to some faceless corporation, it's going to the performer who they think is hot. And also they're getting the chance to DM with that performer and request personal things and build what feels like a relationship with that performer and like a lot of the like the real top level people, a lot of them are not doing their own messages. They're just hiring an assistant who's messaging with fans. but there's the fantasy that, that they're actually messaging with their fans. And how much money um, do they get
1: to keep? Like,
2: does OnlyFans just take, like, 3% or something like that? No, I think OnlyFans takes about 20%, but you have to understand that, certainly in the adult industry, that's a low commission. Like, there's adult sites that take, like, 50% or more of, Mm -hmm. of what a model is bringing in. And so OnlyFans, the fact that you get to keep 80% of what you make is actually a a really good deal, even though it might sound terrible compared to other business models. It's it's a good deal. And there's people like, like the top performers are making like tens of thousands of dollars a month. A lot of people are not the top performers. The majority of people on OnlyFans are only making like a 100 bucks a month, if that. And, you know, the fantasy of OnlyFans is of course that you get to just be at home shooting pictures of your tits and now you're a millionaire and the people who are millionaires are putting in a lot of work and doing a lot more than just like putting up a blurry tit pic and a lot of the work they're doing is marketing mm-hmm. but you know a lot of people are kind of languishing in obscurity but the difference is it's a lot easier for somebody to find your unpopular only fans than for somebody to find like the two seconds of you in the background of a girls gone wild video i think you know, now we see people who are suffering the costs of stigmatization without necessarily getting the benefits that they might have assumed that they would get. It's not even like shooting a porn scene where there's a set amount of money that you know you're getting. You might not get any money and you might be exposed and somebody might steal your photos and publicly humiliate you. Um, so so yeah. it is a mixed bag. When OnlyFans is good, it's great because there's opportunities for people to literally be as in control as they can be, and that they're not answering to a studio head. They're not having Joe Francis take their picture and package it. They're not like, oh, one time I saw a friend of mine who made this porn video and she cast a black woman as the star and she had no say over the box cover and the box cover, they like photoshopped an afro onto her. <laughs> so nobody is doing like that. More after the break.
0: Hear the amazing story of one of the originators of the modern-day conspiracy theory. From Magnificent Noise and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Cover Up, The Conspiracy Tapes.
1: This is Infamous from Campside Media. Before the break, we talked a little bit about how porn has changed since the height of Girls Gone Wild's popularity. But as you probably remember from Joe's story, many of the women who flashed for his tapes argued that they were being exploited. Now remember, this was before iPhones had front-facing cameras, starting in 2010, which meant that if you wanted to take hot news of yourself, you could do it. No shooter or photographer required. So were those girls being
2: exploited? I feel like this is always such a really hard question. It, with girls gone wild, it, it feels like probably yes. Exploitation and it's such a complicated question. You know, I think it's very easy to be like, well, we're all exploited because it's capitalism, and there's an element of truth into that. But there's always this question of like, you can legally consent to something, but is that consent? Is that consent valid? Like. Paris Hilton, I think, eventually signed off on her sex tape being released. Mm-hmm. and pa- Pamela Anderson definitely legally sure. signed off on her sex tape being released. But it was after this, like, public humiliation and being really violated by having this tape stolen, having it released. And, like, yeah, she eventually legally consents, but, like, does that actually mean anything? Like, is that her enthusiastic participation? Mm-hmm. And... You know, with Girls Gone Wild, I'm sure these women signed releases. I'm not sure that they understood what they were doing. I'm not sure they had a sense of the reach that, that this would have. I'm not sure they had a sense of how they would actually feel afterwards. A lot of times when you're filming something, it feels just very different from how it feels when you see it on film. In my setup, which is very different, you know, I was doing like cam shows, but I was doing them from the privacy of my own home. I knew there was an audience, but it's also like I'm at home just like doing my own thing. And and it's hard in that moment to really have a sense of like, what is the audience? What does that feel like? I think if you're like at a party, I mean, and I can say this from like having been photographed by nightlife photographers, for instance, when I was like drunk and doing whatever and quote unquote, going wild, which is probably the closest I have come to a girl's gone wild experience. It's like you're in this moment and you're being encouraged by everyone around you and you're probably intoxicated and you're just not, you're just, you know, having fun and you're trying to get that immediate reward, right? Of like the attention of the adulation of, you know, like the Mardi Gras being thrown the beads. And it doesn't fully register for you that this moment is going to be taken out of context and shared in a way that's detached from you feeling like drunk and wanting attention. And now you're going to have to live with like, oh, this is out there. And now a lot of people are seeing it. And maybe they're viewing it in a way that I didn't think they would view it. And maybe they are viewing me in a way that I don't see myself. And maybe I don't feel good about it. Like I, I, it's really hard, I think, to explain mm-hmm. how different it feels when you're in that moment. It was just fun. And now it was taken out of context and posted on the internet and like people could see me and people who weren't there in that moment, weren't feeling the energy in that moment. were going to be making their own story about what was going on and what totally. I was doing.
1: Yeah. I mean, here you have, you know, above age or, I mean, of age or underage women and girls who are flashing their tits on spring break and then ending up on the cover of, like, sorority orgy number two, right? Yeah. I struggle with it, too, because when I look at some of the civil cases that have been brought, you know, attorneys try to make it sound as though this experience is the defining experience of all of these people's lives, right? And from there, they developed all of this trauma and then also became indigent and uh, require a, a large monetary payout to make everything just. You know, and it's hard to know if that's, like, how damaging this really is. But I've also never been in the shoes of, like, a 17-year-old from Alabama with parents who are, you know, deeply Christian and a school where everybody can see this and um, sort of ostracize me
2: for it, you know? Well, and I think there's also, there's this assumption that people knew what they were getting into, right? But it's also like, just as an analogy, every time when when somebody tweets something and it goes viral and it goes bad for them, there's always this kind of like Monday morning quarterbacking where it's like, you should have known. Mm -hmm. You should have known that was going to go viral. You should have known XYZ was going to happen. But if you are a Twitter user, you are probably aware that it's actually really hard to go viral (laughs) a lot of the time. And when it happens, it's a very like chance thing. You have tweeted for years and gotten five likes max. And then suddenly you have this one tweet that for whatever reason now has like 400,000 people engaging with it. There's almost this narcissism in assuming that you will go viral. And I think that that is also kind of part of the girls gone wild experience. How narcissistic do you have to believe that you just being the girl flashing your tits are going to end up on the cover? You know, (laughs) like, yeah, it's especially when you're surrounded by other women who are doing this, it's very easy to just be like, I mean, I'm not that special. I'm just going to be like obscure and in the background. And it's not going to be me who is the focus. And that was also, you know, with internet porn too, there was this feeling of like, well, nobody's going to find it. Like, it's hard to get people to go on the internet. Who is going to see this? This is this own little like private party for like a select group of people who are just nerdy enough to be online. You're talking about in the early 2000s. Yes, early 2000s, -hmm. absolutely, yes. Very, very, very specific era. Although now I think there's a sense of, like, everybody has an OnlyFans. Who's going to see my OnlyFans? Yeah. And, yeah, and with Girls Gone Wild, I think, like, this idea that people should have known that they were going to end up Uh, packaged in this really pornographic way, that they should have known that their face and body were going to be on a VHS cover that's advertised on this like skeezy commercial. Like that's, so I, I bet you there were so many people who got photographed for Girls Gone Wild who didn't have that experience, who were just like forgettable. And, and to assume that you're going to be the one of the ones who is not, one of the ones who becomes the center of it, like that's very, very difficult to like really think through in this moment when you're on spring break and you're drunk and everybody's encouraging you to show your tits and you want to feel good and you want to feel like people like you.
1: Yeah. And I mean, I think the other question is, is like, is it actually genuinely liberating? Like, you know, we're going through this period where all these old idols from two decades ago, because the nostalgia cycle always works on this 20 year cycle, are like being taken out and we're rethinking them. And if you look at like, you know, Lindsay Lohan, Paris Hilton, that kind of crowd, um, I think that it's really interesting to think of them as victims of that time and as victims of the paparazzi, and they weren't, like, not wearing underwear because they wanted their crotches photographed, right? They were not wearing underwear because they weren't wearing underwear, and then they had, like, a million dudes swarming them to take photos of them. But I think that part of what's missing is, like, there is no better feeling as, like, a woman in your early 20s as feeling incredibly wanted, incredibly sexy, probably high on all sorts of drugs, and it's the middle of the night. You know, that's, like, something I always think about because I'm like, is that because culturally that's what we're told women in their early 20s should be sex objects, so when you really feel like a sex object, you feel really good or is that just like awesome?
2: <laughs> you know, like I, I, like I think it's some of both. Like, I don't think it's for everybody, but I think as a pure experience, it's very fun. And the not fun part is the consequences that you are dealt and the way that you are then treated like public property. Right. Like, I think it's, like, very fun to get attention. And this is also, you know, with celebrity, too. It's very fun to feel like, wow, everybody cares about me and I'm the most important person in the world. But that, like, very, very quickly gets perverted into everybody feels like they deserve access to me. And that is a really bad feeling. Mm -hmm. And, like, people feel like I don't deserve privacy. And that's a very bad feeling. You know, Joe Francis says...
1: You know men have this fantasy. And the fantasy is that you can walk up to any girl here on spring break and make that girl show you her tits. That's just a that's just a fantasy that just is. and i'm I'm getting that for guys.
2: Like do you think that's like a core
1: fantasy? <laughs> I was like, I never heard this before.
2: I am always so skeptical whenever because it's always like the pickup artist types who just like speak about men in a right um. very core way. I think that's a fantasy that's been sold to men. Revenge of the nerds, spying on women and seeing women's boobs uh, without their consent or knowledge or women just flashing you at a party fantasy. And so I think men have definitely been told that that's what they want. Whether all men actually want that, I am skeptical. I mean, some men are gay for starters. Mm -hmm. I think men believe that they want it because they've been told that they want it. But I think there's also a lot of men who actually do want more of a connection or something beyond just a nameless stranger showing you their boobs or something beyond just boobs for the sake of boobs being hot.
1: You know, you've written about how actually people are really looking for pretty tame content. Like they're looking for lesbian porn. Like how how are sexual fantasies created? And is it your formative years, plus what you got from pop culture during your formative years. So, of course, people want the blondes, the hot blondes. Like, you you know, how does that all to your mind go down?
2: I mean, it's funny because people's fantasies are shaped by what they see around them, right? Like, obviously there's a reason why we think like blondes are more attractive. Why like the people who are denigrated in society are just doing less successful in porn. And I don't Mm -hmm. think it's because like blondes are naturally more attractive. Mm -hmm. There is a certain amount of like exposure. Like when you see this and when you see this presented as desirable over time, I do think you learn to uh, accept that and your brain uh, accepts a certain thing as desirable, but at the same time, You know, there's always people who want something different. I mean, this is one of the things like I learned with Fleshbot. Like, I was exposed to so many different types of porn and so many fetishes and some that I saw all the time, and it didn't make me like them. Every time I would log on to like certain porn sites, there would be ads for cartoon porn where it would be like, here's the Simpsons all having sex with each other. And I found it revolting, and I still find it revolting. Mm -hmm. And like the fact that I saw it over and over again didn't change my opinion of it. How much is social conditioning? How much is just what we like? Mm -hmm. But I do think that, yeah, it's undeniable that if society continually tells you a certain kind of person is attractive, it's going to affect you. And it's going to affect what you want.
1: Thanks so much to Lux for that interview. This concludes our whole porn Girls Gone Wild story in Infamous. Next week, you'll finally be hearing from my co-host, Gabriel Sherman, and I can't wait for you to meet him. He'll be telling a very different but equally scandalous story. Until then, thanks so much for listening.